see if you guys are afraid to admit it. But I am afraid to admit that I am a wrestling fan. Mm. In public. Is that bad? Yeah. Are you ready? What's up, Duckers? We are here and we are ready to get into it for our August show with WWF in your house, Canadian Stampede, rocking the cowboy hat because I didn't know there were cowboys in Canada, but apparently there are. So we're going to rock the cowboy hat for a little bit. But first thing first, let's go ahead and introduce my co-host here. Same guys you know every week. We got over here on my side, we got Nathaniel Hall getting at it, getting ready to go. And then down here underneath me, we got Mr. Too Hard, Too Fast, Mr. Jorge Empanada himself, George. I'm ready for, I'm rocking and clucking. <laughs> I need a cowboy hat. I'm ready. Hey. <laughs> I, I, I don't even know what to do with this. Do this. <laughs> Fuck it. It goes with it for the Undertaker. It it does. I mean, it actually matches, does. So. It's not it's not bad, but guys, welcome to the August pay-per-view review. This is episode number five already. The Cinco. That's right, Spring Stampede. Drinko. Cinco. Let's we'll get hit it. you with the kitchen Cinco. Too much. Yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so George is drinking tequila, if anybody uh, couldn't tell by how he's. <laughs> so let's. Am I? YouTube, I I'm do... drinking water, YouTube. <laughs> want to do a couple of things first. So SummerSlam predictions, which were the SummerSlam was really good. I, I really had I really had high hopes for it. And it was it actually didn't disappoint. So overall uh with Money in the Bank and SummerSlam, Lathan is leading the pack at 10 of 14. We got me up next at 9 of 14. We got George, who, you know, not not on equal ground. <laughs> he didn't predict money in the bank, so he's at four and seven. Our guest picker, Brian Dozier, he went two and seven. So, for September, which I believe is the, what pay-per-view payback. is Payback. Payback. It's payback, yeah. Payback in September, we're going to have another guest picker on that which i've already set up it will be my neighbor his name is david and he is not a wrestling fan and never has been a wrestling fan so it'll be interesting to uh see if he can improve on brian's picks so guys we're getting into canadian stampede which took place in 1997 it was an in-your-house pay-per-view. So it was 
one of the smaller events back then. I had kind of forgotten how they used to have the pay-per-views, you know, put out. They had the big events, SummerSlam, Royal Rumble, Survivor Series, and then they had the In Your House, which were smaller events. And so it kind of surprised me uh, just how, how the time wasn't really that long i was expecting a three-hour pay-per-view the pay-per-view itself without commercials came in at like an hour and 48 minutes which i'm cool with because they packed a lot of shit in there and it was really good guys what'd y'all think so i was just thinking right now when you were talking is that i was gonna make since you kept saying picker i made like a little gesture like i was poking my nose because i was making i was gonna make a stupid dad joke but (laughs) <laughs> the time never never came for it. Now it just looks like I poked my nose for no reason uh, on camera. Uh, dude, actually, this In Your House, it was awesome. I really, I enjoyed it throughout the whole thing. Um, and I was surprised because I, I didn't, I, don't, I try not, when I stream anything, I try not to see how long it is. Because I don't want to know, like, oh, it's going to finish soon. So when it finished, I was like, what the? Like, what am I watching? <laughs> Which also, I didn't know what in your house means. Like, why is it called in your house? Oh, like all my paper, point. all the pay per views are, well, none of them were in my house because my parents would never buy them. <laughs> <laughs> then they were out your house if that was the case. <laughs> yeah, we out you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was cool. Like, it kind of, I, I never had a chance to buy them when I was like younger to really experience it. So, this is actually my first time watching Canadian Stampede all the way through. Um, but it was actually interesting. Like, I remember seeing clips of it because it was um, the main event of this show was actually uh, still recorded during when uh, Brett was, it was, I think it was Wrestling with Shadows. Brett was doing that. And so he showed a lot of behind the scenes. I remember those little snippets of it, but I never actually seen the full pay-per-view all the way through and i knew it was gonna be shorter but um this was awesomely short like it was a good marker for a break like i guess in your house the theme of it was is that you had smaller pay-per-view segments in between your big four shows still and i guess this is kind of an experimental phase for wwe to really expand on if people were interested in seeing month-to-month shows because it was always another four shows between the big four shows that they would have these uh, runoff events with, right? But they were just long enough to keep you entertained without, at the time, over uh, oversaturating you with a bunch of excessive wrestling because most of them were just canon events. Like, they didn't have anything to do with storyline. They were just kind of there to have some fun with. Yeah, yeah. Like a pay-per-view health show. Yeah, yeah. Well, the event opens, and it made me kind of realize how much I miss the old school in your house, like set. And when NXT brought it back, I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Like I loved when they brought it back. But like that, the the whole simplicity of in your house with like the the set and everything looking like it's like right in your front door. Like, I thought that shit was cool. Oh, yeah, definitely. I was kind of uh, 
So George, the reason why it was called in your house is because at the some of the original events, they would literally give out a house. Nah. In the middle of the show. For real? And so I mean that only lasted for so long because of budgetary reasons, I guess. Yeah, they're out here pulling some WCW <laughs> bullshit, giving out race cars. <laughs> <laughs> but he still kept the, the whole uh the whole main stage and that that was always awesome to see. And uh, Ted, like the only thing I, I think I was missing was Ted Pattengill coming on there talking a little bit, but uh, it was still a fun event all the same. I do I remember uh, Doc Hendricks did a lot of the narration of voiceovers in this uh, pay per view. That was kind of weird to hear his voice as often as I heard it, and it wasn't even sound like him. It sounded like he was the car salesman of like the <laughs> late eighties. Well, he looked like he was a car salesman from the late 80s. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, and it's funny you talk about the announcers and the commentators and stuff. It was funny whenever they they got through the intro and everything, and they zoom over to the announce table, and you got JR, King, and Vince. JR just looked like he normally, normally was with the black cowboy hat. Like there was like that was just Jr. For a second, I thought King. I thought that was Dutch Mantel with that big ass hat. Yeah. <laughs> like oh oh. oh they got Dirty Dutch doing commentary for this one, and then he started talking like, wait, no, that's not. No, that's the King. That's the King no. of Cowboy Hats right there. I don't know if he just had a really small head. Or that cowboy hat was just really big. So I think it was supposed to be really big, but yeah, he did, it didn't look like the king when I when I was watching that. I'm gonna go with he just has a really small head. What does everybody <laughs> want? <laughs> well, the first match that we had up was kind of one that that caught me by surprise. Uh, you got Triple H versus Mankind. And really, I like hindsight being what it is, Triple H is like the blue blood with the music and the curtsy and all that. Like now it's so weird to see him doing that. And I know we're right on the cusp of DX forming and the I, I mean, I, I I love Triple H, but the Blue Blood gimmick... Hunter was weird. It, it was. And and how far, how far they dove into it, where they were showing the video package, and there's like a point where JR or King are asking Vince on commentary, well, has he tried to buy the WWE or WWE? <laughs> it's like, all right, you're... You're kind of going like Duke the Dumpster Drossy too far into this. Like, <laughs> you know, just let it sit for a second. But I don't know. Seeing Triple H as like the blue blood character was just weird to me. What'd y'all think? I found it ironic. After watching it back now, and with him being who he was back then, and yeah, when they made reference to it, like with the whole buying WWE, I'm like, well, Technically, now fast forward like twenty eight years, and he can. I mean, as soon as this man dies, I mean, he's got a large stake in the company somewhere. So I'm like, oh, how the tables have actually turned in our entertainment life. 
life all of a sudden. So that was kind of rewarding. Uh, I did notice that this was interesting. This was China's first time actually talking. She had a promo a couple of weeks before on Raw where she actually talked and her, uh, and this goes to Mick Foley's credit as a very awesome um, person for the mic and going back and forth um, was like, she had said something like to the point where Mick, you can kiss my ass. And Mick was like, without missing the beat was like, luckily I'm a good kisser. Yep. And I, I, saw like, that. I, I saw that and I was like, this is why, this is what, <laughs> I love absolutely died laughing. Oh man, that was so awesome. But uh I mean, did it bleep but, it on, on your end? Like uh when she said that, did it bleep? Uh, no, no, yeah. No, it, no. Yeah, it just, just didn't sound natural. And I was like, nah, that takes away a little bit from it. Yeah, but yeah. you know it, it was still kind of it was still kind of family oriented back then too. It was before they really went balls deep in the attitude area. They were getting there though. But they were they were on man, and that's the thing about like we're on the cusp of DX, right? Mm-hmm. And that was the thing that kind of got me was like, oh, we're right there on starting the attitude area because we had already gotten past Vince doing the, you know, we're entertainment, but we're you know whatever because that was December of '96. Even though we call ourselves sports entertainment because of the athleticism involved, the key word in that phrase is entertainment. And uh, like we're so close. Was it was it December of '96 that the the Vince? I think it was. It was. uh, I think they were making the transition at this time. Like it was a slow build, and then like it kind of just took off. Like after, so it it actually took off more after. Uh, Survivor Series because we're right there. Before, this is right before Bret Hart wins the title from Taker, leading them to that Survivor Series storyline. Yeah, I um, think the next pay per view is when uh, when we have the uh, Undertaker versus Bret Hart. Champion. Yeah, and Shawn Michaels was the uh, special referee, smacked and hit the wrong person with the chair, and then it led to the yeah. And so, yeah, you know, it's weird. I, I really like Triple H, and I've liked him for a long time. But him being the blue blood, the blue blood, it's weird to kind of see now, looking back on what he was. But I will say, in this, this is my favorite version of mankind. I liked mankind in the in 98, 99, 2000. I liked him. But this kind of the head shave part, the mask, the rocking back and forth, like this was my favorite version of Mankind where he seemed just psychotic and as a real threat. Yeah, like unpredictable. And you know what was annoying me? And I forgot that they even they did this um, calling Triple H by his full name, like the whole time. Hunter Helms Helmsley does this. Hunter Helms Hurst Helmsley does this. It's like every other time. I was like, dude, what, at what point did they start calling him Triple H? Because <laughs> yeah, that's a fair point. Because yeah, that was that was the 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 referring to him as Hunter Hurst Helmsley was yeah, kind of getting. I mean, it's a long ass name to constantly big ass name somebody else. 
Yeah, I think they started doing the Triple H transition. That sounds so weird to say. He transitioned into Triple H, like uh, after they had started making DX, because that's when his 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 T shirt started coming out with the different designs. Yeah. Seeing that was more marketable that way. But it was interesting to see where his character was heading in this direction, because um, and. They, I know he had always made reference to him supposed to have lost the one in ninety five King of the Ring, but he ended up winning the ninety six King of the Ring, and like it's kind of his. No, he was supposed to win ninety six. Stone Cold ended up winning that year. Oh yeah, ran ninety seven. Ninety seven. Yeah. yeah, sorry, got my dates mixed up. <laughs> yeah, but then he ended up winning it, and uh, and so you see that he was kind of transitioning back into being in good graces. And making that push that he was supposed to have had earlier. So, and plus, like, Mankind and Triple H's, like, feud at this time was, like, amazing to watch. Like, they have such great ring chemistry and storytelling powers between their matches. Like, even with this one going the way it went, it, like, kept building and let it let both of them really explore sides to themselves that, like, you know, went on to make their careers even more um synonymous with each other like when it comes to their feuds like you know you have triple h versus mankind triple h versus mick foley dude love versus stone cold and then like you know chainsaw uh cassie jack and chainsaw charlie came back all of a sudden and, like these levels to their each of their characters and it's like kind of bolstered each other in the right direction when they got to work with each other and i think like from from saying that yeah, like um, like they went. You can see the hint of what they turned out to be later on, like the, uh, like their own their own person, their own wrestler, and yeah. then what I really enjoyed is the how it bled into the next match. Uh, yeah, and that to me, I mean, I wish they would do it more nowadays because I feel like nowadays you can definitely see that happening more often. It seems more believable. Um, to where this it was uh, maybe unexpected because I I definitely this is the first time I was watching it. So when it happened, I was like, "Oh, dang, this is pretty cool!" Like they're taking over somebody else's time. But nowadays, I feel like I wonder if people get too uh, mad of like, "Oh, you can't take my time away" or whatever. I don't know. And I think one of the things for me in this match that really kind of emphasize something that we're missing now is how much it meant to be king of the ring. Like their, their emphasis on, on triple H Hunter Hearst Helmsley being the king of the ring just rolls throughout the whole match. How they keep referring to him as the king of the ring and he's this and he's that. And, you know, I I, I kind of miss that now. The King of the Ring, for a, for way too long, has become kind of a joke. And yes, yes, because they weren't referring to him as King Hunter, or Ro- they were referring to him as King of the Ring Hunter, right. Uh, right. you know, and the other H's. But uh, yeah, because yeah. after I don't know who it was where they became, and they like it just seemed like now. The the persona for King of the Ring, they just turn into a, a fucking king all of a sudden, and now they're like, and they just a pretty much just look a, 
Yeah, they're a caricature of what a king is. It's almost like mockingly. Yeah, I remember when there used to be a time when King of the Ring was a legitimate pay per view. You were excited to see like the whole time, the whole night was just a straight up tournament of the the semifinals and finals. And you were like, you were excited to see the King of the Ring come out. You knew it was going to take your career to the next level. Correct me if I'm wrong on this. The King of the Ring used to be where it was almost like the Royal Rumble. The King of the Ring would become the number one contender for the heavyweight championship, right? There was something like know. that. There was some kind of like some kind of stipulation that was along with it because you became King of the Ring. There was like I, I think it was you the number one contender, or like you were kind of put into the the top rankings to become. Yeah, like you were going to get that push. The push was yeah. coming. Yeah, and why Why wouldn't you do that? So you have the Royal Well, come on. To be fair, Art, the last one, the only last king that mattered in this last, like, generation of King of the Rings we're talking about was King Booker. <laughs> <laughs> Put the pinky up. Oh, yeah. That's the pinky up. So why would you not make the King of the Ring the number one contender. So you have the Royal Rumble in January. You have them gaining a a championship match at WrestleMania, right? Why would you not do another style thing like that where you are the king of the ring and you're automatically the number one contender to earn a championship match at Survivor Series, whatever it is. You know, that's like your halfway point of the year Royal Rumble. You know, I think that would be that would be something that they could bring prestige back to the King of the Ring tournament where that is your mid-year Royal Rumble. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that would be a good cool. jumping off point. Um to also help you have some like a, at least a decent storyline into the summer after post WrestleMania, right? Like usually, our so like SummerSlam, we kind of get eventually into like a big storyline leading up to it, but that could be your storyline leading up to it. You don't have to try to second guess who you can fit here to play a role to the championship match or to, to like whoever champion is going to be. He is the rival to it because he earned it with the King of the Ring. And now you have the king versus the champion, and who comes out on top? Right. And that let yeah. me so let me ask you all this. So in this match, it kind of brought up a, a question that I've had for a long time, but not really sure where it fits in. Where does China rank on your list of managers as a manager? Not as a performer, which she eventually became champion, whatever. But early on, as a manager watching her, where does she where I mean, what do we what do we think about her as a manager? Oh shit, now you maybe have to think about her as a manager. The starters. She was just to me, it was she wasn't really a manager. She was just a bodyguard. Uh, like sort of like a really Rhea Ripley, like she's more of an enforcer role, not an actual managerial role. That's so I can't the- think of I can't think of Triple H without thinking of China. Old school Triple H, 
there's no you know both of them are together no matter what yeah. um and same thing well i guess later on like if i i feel like i can think of china without thinking of triple h because i'll think china you know ninth wonder of the world you know she did her own um you know her own thing as a wrestler as well but then i also see her with eddie and then with eddie guerrero she also helped Eddie Guerrero get even more, like, more uh, fame or heat, whatever, you know. Yeah. Did, was so, it Latino heat that she helped? Get? Yeah, that's a hey, Latino heat. <laughs> and that's not, you know, and I say, and that's not a knock on China. <laughs> and, like, to not put her in that manager list, but it's just that she played a different role. Like, even when she was with Eddie, she still played that romantic, like, like, Listen, she'll get in there and knock somebody around if she needed to, but like the managers don't get in there and get rough like that. That's what enforcers do. And so she became some pretty nice looking eye candy as a, as a, as the career moved on and, and elevated itself. But she was she was her own um, spectacle to a certain extent, right? She became some good eye candy, but she's no Judy Bagwell, right? Hell no, <laughs> Judy Bagwell, hey. And man, Martha Hart sitting there ringside, my God! <laughs> we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk more about that later. So, it, yeah, China. I, I, I. You're right. I don't really consider her a manager. That's a good question. She was in that time frame. She was a manager. Well, manager. But you're right. She's more an enforcer than anything else. But. There was a point where she's on the ring apron and she's got her arms up and right, she's yelling in the ring. And I it made me think, who's got the bigger triceps? China in 97 or Mr. Lathaniel Hall over here? Oh, China for sure. Can no. we see can, let, let's see them triceps? Come on. There's some uh, meat hanging there. But uh no, she still put me to shame. Uh, she had an incredible work ethic back then that uh, knows no bounds. Dude, I know exactly what you're talking about right there. Like, when I was watching this again, I was like, man, I think China was like my first like strong woman crush. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I always, always when I think of China, I always remember when uh, she first got into the ring, when she debuted and like started whooping Terry Reynolds around. I was like, that was. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, who's this man beating up on this woman? And then I realized, it's like, oh, that's China. You know, the match was really good. Like, they're, I, Triple H, I don't know if it's Triple H or if it's Mick Foley or if it's them on their own. I Man, their chemistry was just so good. There was that spot where Triple H whipped Mick Foley and China caught him and, like, body slammed him into the fucking steps that was always my favorite spot for Mick Foley at this time he would make it look so convincing that like it just like hurt but it would, like he just landed the right angle and the camera caught it to where it just looked like it hurt like hell but he would get <laughs> be able to walk away from it like that, that was beautiful yeah I, beautiful that's, selling that's a, that's a testament to Mick Foley man that dude he put himself through so much pain but there were a lot of things that he goes back and says, like, oh, yeah, that didn't hurt at all. It just looked painful. But yeah. everything for him looked 
painful like that god that one that one that one got me I just was, breathing just breathing for him looked painful like just like when he was like <laughs> <laughs> have a good well, hell, you know, he's from like he's the part of the new <laughs> it's a nice day it's a nice day wait, i fucked wait, it up cut wait. that out <laughs> as soon as it came out of my mouth i knew it messed it up <laughs> all right so we just had we just had another raven moment <laughs> oh man bless his heart <laughs> george given the another statement of a wrestler <laughs> Catchphrase. <laughs> Have a good uh-huh. day. Oh shit! Listen, I'm the podcast. worst. I'm the worst at uh, quoting things. This is why on my podcast we say it's too hard to pass that we don't check back because I am the worst with song lyrics or quotes. Shit, but so let me let me ask y'all. We were, we were talking about this a couple of minutes ago. As far as rivalries go, Triple H, Mick Foley, their rivalries throughout their career are legendary. I mean, and it's what made them legends, right? But who had, who had the better rivals, Mick Foley or Triple H? The long haul, I would say probably Triple H had the better rivalries just because of the long standing he stayed in without a break. So you give him and then you also longevity because well yeah. Um and then that's also you also gotta remember Mick Foley had that one time in TNA. So that kind of <clears throat> nope, gotta talk no. yeah, no. It, no it's there. there. It's like Jordan retiring and going to play for the Wizards. It, it happened. You don't like to talk about it, but it happened. No, it didn't. <laughs> it's like Jordan retiring and going and playing baseball. No, it didn't. It, it kind of did. They made a whole movie about it. <laughs> <laughs> they had to make a whole movie about him going and playing baseball. And it's like, you know what? Nope, he's being abducted by aliens. Yeah. <laughs> but okay. did, did Triple H have the meaningful rivalry? I mean, we're in 1997 here. Triple H and Mick Foley's rivalry didn't really culminate until 2000. So you've got three years in there. So I would say, man, I... Both guys, their their evolution in character development with their rivalries, I, I I couldn't if if you were asking me right now to pick one, like who had the better one, right? Which I've put to y'all, I couldn't do one without the other. They have been so good, and they just there's not a way for me to separate the two. Like if you if you think back and and say okay, what if Mick Foley never came to WWF, right? And now you have the Attitude Era, the '96 when he debuted as Mankind, and he's gone. There are so many empty holes in this time frame, right? Mm-hmm. Same with Triple H. 
if you pick him out and throw him out of WWF, right? He is so important to the development of WWF that you you can't you can't pull him out. You can't pull out McFoley. I, I I man I I'm at a loss for what I could choose to be the one who had the better rivalries because to me they kind of mirror each other on everything and not only mirror each other but they are interacting with each other you know what I mean so let me uh, so let me turn your question in a slightly different way in the bigger scheme of the WWE and like the way that uh what's the one I'm looking for so like the way they kind of like transitioned and elevated each other's careers like so in in that same turn you also had The Rock Stone Cold you had The Undertaker playing the pivotal role Kane like everybody kind of stepped the game up and they were always involved in each other's storylines, like booking wise in some way, shape or form. Let me, I guess the better question to ask is, uh, or I guess the better way to, to frame the answer to the question is triple H had the better rivalries for a main event level. And Mick Foley was okay and actually worked really well as a supporting mid card rivalry. But like it's it, they do tend to run uh, parallel to each other a lot and cross over. So they are both really pivotal. But like I said, uh, like that, like I was saying, was like uh, you know Triple H just had more of the limelight, where Mick Foley was okay just being a supporting actor. That's fair. That's, yeah, that's fair. I love Triple H. Like his well, character on that, you know, he's still a badass. And it's still yeah. like a big part of the whole, you know, me growing up watching wrestling. So, like, I don't want to be like, oh, I'll compare it and then just end up talking shit about Triple H. Yeah, you know, and, and honestly, uh, speaking of being a badass, I don't know if there's any anybody more badass than Mick Foley selling the awkward as fluid. And let me, let me explain that a little bit. A little bit better. Mick Foley as mankind in this era just came off so fucking awkward, right? Yeah. There would be moments in the match where he would just like stumble and like fall and hit the ropes and Triple H would like fall. He would hit, you know, he was on the top rope and he'd fall and hit. Like Mick Foley just, he's the master of being awkward he reminded me of like a goofy Robin Williams, but with on a, in a wrestling <laughs> show. That's a good. That's a good. <laughs> yeah, uh, George, I like that. Wait, what? <laughs> no, I like that. I mean, that made sense. <laughs> I was just thinking like riskier. And with, yeah. in in that, I mean, the finish of the match. I didn't mind. I normally hate the kind of bullshit finishes like this where it's like, oh, double count out or whatever. But I I kind of, I, I liked it. 
And it made me think we were, I mean, we were getting pretty close to that Monday Night Raw where my man, bang, bang, Cactus Jack returned, right? Because I think I think this kind of led into, into that with them continuously fighting, doing the hardcore stuff. Yeah. And they can never, it was like, they can never have a finish. They just kept on going. I did like that. Like, it reminded me I was in 97. That was one of the remarkable parts is that they actually stuck true to rules in wrestling matches. Like, there's no, yeah, like, there's no, like, getting to nine and rolling underneath the ring. Like, you just kind of, like, shot it out there and just kept on going sometimes because it was the heat of the battle and not just trying to, like, get inside of a count real quick. Um, so I thought that was that was fun to go back down and remember those type of things happening um, uh, in the matches because, like, it was DQs the way you're supposed to be done. And there's a couple of hits and misses later we'll talk about. But, like, it was, like, it was fun. Like, it was the way the match ended, left it open, and then, like, that long-term storybooking with them ended up making it perfect for new characters to be developed. And stuff. So yeah, no, it was it was a good it was a good finish. It was a surprising finish, right? But nobody's really paying attention because it's a house show on pay per view, right? right? Yeah. Jorge Empanada, what'd you think? No, <laughs> um, the ending was perfect because, uh, like I said, it was the first time I was watching it, so it caught me off guard. But to the point, the fact that I've been around and I've watched a few of these, like, okay, cool, that makes sense. Like this is badass. But, like I told you guys before we were uh, recording, uh, my son was watching it with me. And he was hardcore into it. Uh, to the point where, like, he hears, din, 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 din. And he's like, what happened? What happened? They're still fighting. It's like, well, the match <laughs> is over. And then he hears, like, double count out or whatever. He goes, what? What? It's over? <laughs> and so he was, like, really into that. And so I like I wish I didn't like could be experiencing it in that way of like for the very first time because yes mine is the first time but I've seen others so this yeah. is like the very first time of like oh everything just went haywire and and it's just like it's still continued like they're still fighting even mm-hmm. though there's like the match is over so I thought that was like the perfect ending for that. Yeah, yeah. It was it was a good match. Um, so I, which I, by the way, I feel like us talking about this one match has already lasted longer than the pay per view itself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just just wait, because now we got to rate the match. So, um, I I gave I gave this match a three point eight six. I I really enjoyed the match. It was a good fight. It had good drama. It had good storytelling. It was it was a good match. So I'll get. I, I gave it a three point eight six. I gave it a three point five, and uh, knowing that they get better, and this was a good starting off point for. Me. I was I I was wanting to go into the fours, so I went three point nine nine. Oh, no, no. Just round up. It's okay. Just round up. Just just because it was like as good like I like I just said, but we're not um, grading on a curve here, Lathan. <laughs> <laughs> You're yeah, not grading I, on a curve. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, I think that's like as good as it would because I know 
it's four worthy, but it was just like short. Like if I had a little bit more for sure, because I think for everything, China, uh, you know, the antics that went on on the uh, on the side of like the ringside, all that was perfect. Like making yeah. making sure you distract the referee. Where nowadays, you know, like the referee knows the spot and he just turns it around or whatever. <laughs> Like this was like, oh, come here! Like, like it was perfectly done. It was uh, very fluid. The match yeah. was very fluid. Yeah. Nice. So that's where I'm at. All right. So with that, we're going to take our first commercial break to get a announcement from our sponsor. So we will be right back with the next match. Hey, too hard, too fast podcast. A lighthearted, thought-provoking, comedic podcast. Where we talk about society and culture topics through the lives and experiences of my guests. But that's what it says on paper. The important thing to remember is that too hard, too fast, we don't check facts. Something you can check is for Too Hard, Too Fast podcast on YouTube, Spotify, and any other podcast platform that you use or don't use. Use them all. Watch us all on all of it. So, we're going to get into the next part of the show, which was a stampede promo that they played a lot throughout the show and i get it you know they were promoting the uh canadian stampede and everything which i didn't know they had cowboys in canada which is cool right i mean born and raised texan born and raised outside the king ranch i i didn't know anything existed outside of that but this is gonna be a weird one so question i have so Diana Hart Smith was Miss Calgary. She was pretty, but was she that pretty or was it? She's pretty enough, Art. It's Canada. It's Canada. <laughs> it's Canada. It's okay. I mean, she's a she's a really pretty woman. I'm not taking that away from her at all. No, it's Canada. I mean, Art. It was worse, but. <laughs> So you got to think about context, right? Like it was, it was the nineties. Like, you know, that like, she at a point was like a, uh, a, a, a visual, what attractive social standards look like. Right. If you're a beauty, you're a beauty pageant, that's kind of what it was, but you got to look at it through the lens of 1990s. Like when it comes to like makeup and hairstyles and attire, right? Like, it's, it was a different time. Like, you know, you'll look at, like, when you get to the, the end of the main event, you'll see D.H. Smith with, like, a, a chili bowl haircut with a split down the middle, like, JTT with some maple syrup sprinkle on them. But, like, it's, you know, it's just, like, that was what was cute at the time. I can do that shit to my hair. Like, it was just weird. Like, it's, it's, it's if, you, if you put it into its right context, we can see where, like, while she may not be what we would think is beauty stand model standards now, like back then it was slightly different. And again, it's Canada, which I love Canadians and uh, y'all are awesome people, beautiful people. I get it. Like, it's just, you know, it's Canada. All right. Let's clear up one thing real quick. You can't do that to your hair because that's cultural appropriation. So. Oh, you bitch. <laughs> it wasn't cultural appropriation back then. It was just a sign of times, Art. <laughs> no, you said you you with your hair. No, yeah. you can't do it. 
Well, to be fair, my hair also can't get that long. It takes a couple of years. But I can't grow a beard. Contingulous. <laughs> All right, so I have to do a Google image search real quick to make sure I wasn't roasting her too hard. No, she's she was a she was a very pretty woman. Is she's a, a beautiful very pretty woman. woman. Yeah, no, no, I'm not taking that away from her. Listen, I'm not trying to have D.H. Smith kind of kick my ass. I'm talking about well, no, I'm just looking at a at a, if you're. If you're, if I'm standing in a bar, right, and I'm drinking a beer, and I look, then over, everyone's a pretty woman, <laughs> even me. <laughs> no, I'm just trying to get your autograph because I think you're contiguous. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you know, I if I'm looking at her, or if I'm at Walmart, or I'm at the middle of. If you're at Walmart, you've gone too far too fast. I know. I'm <laughs> I, keep, I keep naming these places, and I'm like, shit, this is not working out well. If I'm walk, all right, you know what? If I'm at Disney World and I'm walking by this woman, and I look at Diana, I'm thinking to myself, damn, she's she's pretty, but is she beauty pageant winner pretty? Yes and no. When did she win uh, the beauty pageant? That was 97. She won it that year? Yeah, she's wearing the sash. Or was it fake for WWE? George? No, she's in a parade. They're they're promoting this. Miss Calgary and all of that with her. So How long is this parade? Maybe a block and a half? You know, whatever Vince McMahon just shut down. (laughs) <laughs> well, no, so, uh, but apparently the Canadian Stampede uh, is, like, in Canada is the equivalent of, like, the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo in Texas. And so, like, they all have, like, the parades. It's a week of just, like, fun. And everybody's all cowboyed up, eh? Uh, and so, it's, uh, so, like, they always have the pageants, and, like, apparently the hearts are there every year in some way, shape, or form getting represented by somebody. And so, like, this year they had, like, uh, D- David, uh, Davey, Davey Boy and uh, uh, Diana out there with Jim the Anvil Nightheart. So, yeah, so I was like, oh, that's cool that they put all that together. But I didn't realize that she had actually won. I thought that was just some hokey shit that uh, Vince had put together to kind of highlight her in, in some way, shape, or form in the match, too, because... Lord knows that if your last name is with heart, you have to be some kind of involvement in the show. So, yeah, y'all know. All right, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the next matchup we have is Takamichi Noku, George's favorite, versus the great Sasuke, which I had to look up and see, like, oh, the great Sasuke, is he somebody else? No, he's not, but he's apparently. A very well traveled, accomplished wrestler, which you see in the match. You see how good he is with talking in the match. Man, they they pulled out the Triple H Mankind coming in and fighting. I I didn't like that. I didn't like that. Like you could have did the Triple H Mankind stuff and just ended it. And they brought them back in and 
kind of ruin and, and it goes back to stuff that we talked to on the first podcast wrestlemania 14 available on spotify youtube and apple podcast where they kind of disrespect the light heavyweights and man it just it i think this is when they were building for that first re the first debut of cactus jack on monday night raw when they did the three faces of foley sitting together and the the you know whatever but they, they didn't need it and it just seemed like it was kind of kind of bullshit on top of the match that could have been really good it, like the one thing it, that was the one thing that was kind of annoying um luckily it was just a moment a time and it didn't really take up that much like, it took up just enough time to be annoying but at the same time it just uh when they put more emphasis back on the match the match was even like kind of like even better in a certain extent because they knew they were going on while this was going on. So it kind of it looks like there's a transition somewhere in the match where like they get back the attention that was taken away from them. Not specifically because that's gone now, but because they are putting more emphasis on the action inside the ring. Because literally this is probably like one of the best matches on the card. Like bell to bell as far as like between the ropes. They put on a show like this is like Jap Japanese wrestling at its finest and cruiserweight wrestling at a pivotal point where like they didn't really see a lot of it on WWE TV at all, um, which both, you know, when it comes to Taka and it comes to the way that they eventually shift his character throughout the years and some of the better matches for light heavyweight titles and things like that. Um it just goes to show what they had more the, the potential it had to run with. I wish Sasuke came or Suzuki, whatever the hell his name is, came back a couple more times. I know this is like his only match on the, like ever in the WWE, um, but he definitely could have had more range to move with inside of the light heavyweight title. So yeah, but it was definitely a good. It was a good match, uh, bell to bell, absolutely. Now, what was quite entertaining was Vince McMahon not knowing shit about Japanese wrestling and, and uh, awkwardly putting uh, putting some uh, commentary together for this. So I don't know if you were listening to it, but it was quite interesting. Yeah, it was actually not bad. And I actually took a note of it that Jerry Lawler was a lot less dickish than he was later on. <laughs> yeah. No, definitely. Like it was the the, the announcement for this was just you kind of tell like Jr. was kind of comfortable with talking about some of it because he had done like I guess some voiceover uh, commentary for New Japan before at that point too, to for the English dub version. But like you could tell, uh, especially like Vince and King were kind of both out of their elements slightly in this, um, and then kind of just kind of treaded the the water, the way that they felt like they can make it go over better. Uh, but yeah, but like the commentary, I said, there's a point where I kind of just uh, stopped listening after I watched it the second time. I was just like, I'm just going to watch this match for what it is. George, what'd you think, man? Well, everybody knows I'm a Takamichinoko fan. <laughs> uh, you know, and 
you add some vodka to the Michinoco driver, and you call that breakfast. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I thought it was weird how when the pay-per-view at the from the very beginning opens, the first thing Vince McMahon says is, looking forward to this Japanese fight or a Japanese match. And I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> Told me everything then, I was going to need to know about this real quick. <laughs> well, we'll say I was I, to me, it was, again, watching it for the first time, I was like, oh, I wonder what's like, what makes it a Japanese match? And then I realized, well, they're both Japanese. Uh, but then in all that, like watching it through, like all the moves, like it's all technical stuff. It's all technical. So it, it, I've never seen New Japan and or anything like that, but I've heard of like how things are so different. So that made me feel like there was a little bit of a of a glimpse of what wrestling is in Japan. And so, which also I don't know if it was just uh, maybe the crowd wasn't into it, or maybe it's just a different culture too. Because I, I also hear that in Japan, like during the match, they're very quiet, right? But like the the you know the Canadian fans that were also very quiet. I mean, while I was like really into everything they were doing, you know, yeah, but yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, and it was that there was a moment where the great Suzuki jumped off the top rope, like with a Liu Kang Mortal Kombat style kick, and I was like, that was cool as shit. Like yeah. it was a cool <laughs> it was a cool moment and I actually have in my notes. No, no, wait do what? It like, do it like you're about to beat your brother up. I don't know. I will. No, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. No, we were what was it? We were in one of the other the other podcasts we were talking about, and you were like, I could never do the actual move, but I would yell. Takamichi Noku! Oh, yeah. Yes. All I could think about watching this match after that was you. Well, I couldn't give him the Michinoku driver. I couldn't do the Michinoku driver, but... You're doing it so loud, the mic's cutting out. Oh, man. Takamichi Noku! There it is. <laughs> but you know, that was it. Was, one of the things I, I really liked about this match. So it was, it was great wrestling. It was a cruiserweight, light heavyweight style match without it being a spot fest. Like it felt like a really good match without it, like. You know, the wrestler's standing there waiting for the guy to fall on him. You know, yeah. it, it, everything was really good. The crowd was digging it. They were loving this match. And I, I don't know. I don't know if it was maybe just Vince at the time or whatever it may may have been. I'm not going to speculate on that, but. Man, they really missed out on an opportunity with the cruiserweights. And this match had such a disappointing end. Like the simple back hook, suplex, pin, 
when you yeah. like I mean I'm watching I was saying, that's crazy. My wife said the same thing because she like caught the end of it and she got into it and then all of a sudden she goes, Well, that was kind of like a not that great of a you know, way to win. Yeah, and I was like, what? I thought it was pretty cool. No, I don't know. I thought just because seeing all that like different technical stuff, like I thought like perfect. Well, it, but then it goes to show like how we are like our program nowadays, right? Like everything ends with a big spot move, like your finishers, your definitive move, and like. This kind of goes into showing how much they didn't care about it, the cruiserweight the division at the time, is because you can just go ahead to win the match by, like, a random pin like that, right? Or instead of it being, like, an overwhelming finishing move, like, it just is what it is. Like, it's just, it was the pin was the pin. Even though it's, like, the, the, the mission, I thought it was going to be over at the Mishinoku driver, but then here we go around about two more minutes, and then here comes this... Uh, this penitent and that I do for a kick out on uh, WWE SmackDown at the time on my creative wrestler, and they still kick out of it. But and maybe yeah, I can see where you can, where it was slightly underwhelming, but at the yeah. same time, it just was what it was. And maybe that was the whole point: is they wanted to make Taka stronger by this, like. Well, he got well. I don't know, man. I I don't know. It didn't to me. It no. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make to sense. me. It makes perfect sense because you now we know when the pin's coming. We know oh the setup. You do this. You gesture to the crowd. You know the big moves coming. You hit the big move, and now the and and some wrestlers have a secondary move, so they hit the secondary move, and then boom, you know it's a uh, it's a pin. Or if they kick out, you know, it's eventually going to happen again. Uh, but what this was like to, to me was like, oh, this is a simple move. They're going to kick out. And I was like, one, two, three. And it's, oh, they didn't kick out. That was that to me was like, wow, a simple move and they didn't kick out. So right. it made it more exciting for me. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. That 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 is a That is a fair point. You don't have to give it to me. I already took it. <laughs> I didn't give you permission to take it. <laughs> and now we're talking about something else, and YouTube will cancel us. So the next, so the the next thing up was the promo with the nation fighting and everything, and uh, showing Ahmed Johnson getting hurt. And I remember as a kid, I really liked Ahmed Johnson, but he always seemed to be there, be in the middle of stuff, and then he was just gone. And then yeah. he would come back, and he was there, and then he was gone. And they said that he like tore his ACL, tore his MCL, whatever it was, and he was supposed to be the opponent for Undertaker. And man, Ahmed Johnson was just a He's accident prone. Accident. He's a fabricated just, I mean, he got that injury bug, and it just never went away. No, and it, like it carried on to it's it's basically his whole career is he's just constantly getting hurt when it, like the, the when the chips are working in his favor. Like he had what the intercontinental push, the injury, came back part of the nation, injured, and then he's injured. 
and he's just gone at, at one point. And then uh, I remember he came back as uh, a sweet tea. And uh, oh, WCW, what about that? And he looked like he had been drinking a bunch of sweet tea, diabetes, if you will. With um, uh, oh god, the the Stevie Ray, no, the manager, um, um, uh, the the guy, the you're gonna wrestle one on one with the Undertaker, oh, Teddy Long, Teddy Long, oh. Yeah, when he was getting back in the managerials and quit being a referee all over the damn place. And he was yeah. a he was a big referee. Yeah. And so and Ahmed Johnson was a big injury risk. Which uh I'm gonna say what I'm gonna say and I hate to say it because I hate to see the ill will of people in the downfall, but thank God uh Ahmed Johnson got injured when he did and we got this Vader versus Undertaker match instead because this was awesome. That big man can move and fly, and like between uh, Undertaker's athleticism at the time before all the surgeries, and Vader being pushed as like this dominant heel before uh, Shawn Michaels kind of just kind of nipped that in the butt and stomped that into the ground. This was an <laughs> awesome match. So well, like, with that with that, and that brings me to my first point of this match: What went wrong with Vader in the WWF? Shawn Michaels. Exactly it. Like, it was the, I mean, no, so like, there's actually like, this is on a couple of different um, shoot interviews where like basically, like, Vader missed a spot in one of their matches. Sean had a fit literally in the ring, like, kicked him in the head in the middle of the ring. They finished the match, and then Shawn Michaels went back to bitch at Vince about it, and that kind of killed this whole push at the same time. I don't know, man. I'm I, I watched this match and it was a good match, but Vader Vader wasn't the same that we had seen. No, this was so this this match more specifically was after that happened and they were just kind of he was still good and still putting in a good honest work, but you could tell they were like starting to slowly move him away from his push that they were trying to bring him to. Like it was already it was like it's sort of like um What's the best way to put it? Like it was, he was, he was still doing pretty decent work, but then like he could tell that like they were kind of like grounding his push. Like he's just now a place card for somebody to get over with, and that's why you know the match still was good, and you know Undertaker's going to win given the light the circumstances. But I mean, yeah, a I big think- part of it played to well that, and he but he does wrestle really stiff. Uh, most of the time, too, and so like he, he can be like Vader can be a risk in that aspect where a wrestler can work too stiff because he's so used to New Japan style wrestling where everybody works stiff and everything's a shoot. But like between, I say those two specifically, those two issues were probably the more prominent things that kind of killed his his push the first time around. But he was also a boy meets world. <laughs> As a matter of fact, <laughs> I don't know, man. Which is where I originally know him from. <laughs> I, I, you know, I like watching him in this match versus some of the stuff I've seen him in in New Japan. 
it's not he's not the same. He's not the same as he was in WCW. He's I disagree with the Shawn Michaels push because Shawn Michaels isn't even on this pay-per-view. Um I I don't know. I don't know. George, what'd you think, man? It was kind of nice to see Vader. Um but it felt awkward that they or it felt awkward that they just like, oh, this guy got hurt. Let's put Vader. It just it it, it had no draw to me, like to watch the match. And I think honestly, I think I fell asleep during half of it. I'll tell you what drew me to the match was fucking Paul Bearer, man. Oh yes, that's what I wanted to talk about. Holy shit, that guy is oh man. We we got talking about Paul Heyman and how great he is, but you know you can't forget Paul Bearer. Paul Bearer. And we had talked about this on one of the the prior podcasts. Paul Bearer, I, I man, I want to put him as my number one manager of all time. Watching him in this match, wait over Paul Heyman, Paul Bearer. But no, I know. But you're you're saying number one, like he will be better than Paul Heyman. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think so. I think so because. He, he, I mean, his, his body language, his emphasis on the match, him, I mean, in the corner covering up and hiding when Undertaker came in, when he's yelling at the camera, he's like, you know, get, get out of here. You know, he's yelling at the camera, man, you're. It's hard to find somebody who commits that much to a match. I mean, even Paul Heyman now. I mean, you look at Paul Heyman. He is committed to the match, but he is not cowering, hiding. He is not yelling at the camera. Yeah, man. He's he's, And this is where I would probably say I can see where I would agree with you with that because Paul Heyman's still around. And and is he taking notes from Paul Bear? Because you see him oh, in the sure. corner right now with uh, Roman Reigns, kind of yelling in the corner, doing my trouble, Chief, doing my trouble, like like doing like the silly things that anybody with an ego would be like, oh, I'm not gonna do something silly like that. But this guy's like, no, fuck that, like I'm adding to it, and I think he does. He adds really good, but right. that makes sense, like. But Paul Bearer, Paul Bearer was, so with Roman Reigns, Paul Heyman is almost just portraying himself, being himself Mm. in this, right? Paul, uh, Paul Bearer was emphasizing that hatred for The Undertaker, whether it was Vader, Kane, Mankind, Whoever it was, he emphasized that hatred for The Undertaker. And he's yelling about how he hates The Undertaker. He is just, I mean, just hatred. Paul Paul Heyman doesn't do that. He supports Roman Reigns. He supported uh, CM Punk. He supported 
Brock Lesnar. Whether I thought we say we would not mention that name again. <laughs> He's Bill Brooks. He shall not Bill be Brooks. named. Uh, but Paul Bearer not only was a manager for the person he was with, but he had a true hatred for the Undertaker. Mm. And I think See? that that to me, I mean it it came out in him. You know, with with Paul Heyman, his loyalty just oozes out of him. And I'm not going to take anything away from Paul Heyman. I think Paul Heyman is one of the top five managers of all time. I think Paul Bearer is number one in that because not only was he so good with The Undertaker when he was the manager of The Undertaker as being somebody who was completely with The Undertaker, but after he left The Undertaker, his pure hatred oozed out of him along with his loyalty to who he was with at that time, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you just, at that time, it was, it's the consistency of the storyline characters that made that play out even better because his hatred for the Undertaker was portrayed through the other wrestlers that he had pushed into those feuds with the Undertaker. Like it was like he used, like they were kind of pawns to get back at the Undertaker where he couldn't physically do it himself, like with mankind and then Kane. But then going back to this too, this was in the midst of, the only reason why I remember this more specifically is because of the weird fucking Harry hat at the time. But like this played into Kane coming out later. They started teasing this story build like, literally, I believe it was weeks after or starting the week before, where it's like, Kane's alive! Kane's alive! It's like, everybody, like, you see the Undertaker vis- like visibly get, like, panicked, and it, like, leaves that question there, right? And so it leads you to, like, it, like it, it adds more long-term story building to their world, their storyline itself, and you're waiting for the other shoe to drop, like, when is Kane coming? And you want to tune in just to make sure you don't miss that debut, you know. Uh, so yeah, so that was that was cool that they started sprinkling that in as well. Uh, going and into we're, this, we're still two months away from Kane debuting. Yeah, yeah uh, three months. This was that bad blood, right? So the next pay per view, and then they had another one, or the next one was uh, bad blood. I will, man. That's good shit, pal. <laughs> there was, there was a moment where there was the most, the most botched tombstone I've ever seen, where Undertaker tries to pick up Vader, and then they fall backwards, and then Vader just falls over. Yeah, and he's a big boy, man. <laughs> he's an awkward big boy. And then, and then it led to the closest two count I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Holy shit. Like, I had to rewind it three times. Because I'm like, nope, he hit the mat. He, nope, this was a fuck up on their side. 
and you go back and watch it, and that dude just, I mean, it is like, here's the mat, and he's like, nope. Yeah. No, that was kind of crazy. I didn't look at it that hard, but yeah, it was pretty fun. It was pretty damn close. But it, was, it just goes to show the awesome referees they had back then that can clean that up real quick without paying attention. Shout out to those refs back then. All right. So let's rank it. So, George, rank it first. What do you have? Give me your, give me uh, your first. Wait, did we rank the Takamichinoko one? Nope. See, we don't even care about the cruiserweight division that much. <laughs> First of all, sir, it's called the light heavyweight division. Listen, whatever pronoun you want to give to is a bunch of just, you know, you just running around in my ring. 2.8. Ah, okay. All right. All right. Latham, what'd you give it? The Undertaker match was uh, definitely like a 2.678. Yeah. Big, I'm a fan of most, like, some work of uh, Undertaker, but, like, like, you were kind of saying Vader, like, it's Vader's kind of, like, slowly not being the Vader of old, and it started to show out in the match a little bit. It still was a good match for two athletic big men like that. It's just they had a couple of botches, and uh, still entertaining, but, like, across the board, the rest of the card, hands down, definitely better matches. And so this was kind of the low point of the show. Uh, in my my opinion, wow, wow. Mm-hmm. Man, yeah, your piss break is this match. I yeah. gave this I gave this match a three point one. I I thought it was a good good match. It gave, I mean, it extended the Undertaker with his dominance and stuff. Now I took away points because we got the teardrop taker. That just bugs me watching him with the fucking teardrop like we've talked it looks about. Looks like a mole. <laughs> it looks like a fucking mole every time. I I thought it looks like a cholo poser zombie. <laughs> <laughs> it's like if a goth kid wanted to be a cholo. <laughs> oh my god. But you know what? I I I, I put in here. God, I love the winged eagle. Damn it. I, yeah. love, I love that that belt so much. And so the next thing that we have up is the we got another Canadian Stampede promo, which I mean it was cool. The thing that stuck out to me on this one was with with knowing how petty. Vince McMahon can be man they promoted the shit out of the Hart family on this one and rightfully so I mean like if it was any other place in time like this is kind of like this bizarro when we cross that northern border like what is right is wrong up there and what's wrong is weird up there but like it's it's it goes into kind of like um do you remember White watching Wrestling with Shadows and Bret Hart would always talk about how he's a hometown hero? You think about it, you think like he's kind of arrogantly talking about himself, trying to struggle his own ego, but man, they love the Hart Foundation yeah. in a weird, heroic way up there. Like it is not a like it's not a like a, a like a over comparison. Like 
if your last name is Hart, you are like royalty up there wrestling wise. Like, my God. Like, so I can understand why they kind of promoted the way they were. Because even in this match, like in the next match, you'll hear them say Austin sucks and fuck Stone Cold verbally, like, I like very audibly say it. They are some of the most passionate wrestlers of wrestling fans I've seen. Um, and like when a when a heart foundation comes out, the pop is massive. Like it's it's uh it, it's kind of crazy to hear, even though they're heels on in North America, they're like loved and revered when they get to Canada. And yeah, I, like we'll uh, we'll we'll get to that and their their ovation. Yeah. Um was it weird to y'all that they randomly threw in the Canadian national anthem like halfway through the show? So we're used to with the, the beginning, WWE, they start the show with America the Beautiful and go from there. But we got random, like, oh, Canada in the middle of the pay per view. Yeah. That just goes to show how ass backwards Canadians do it up there. So it just, it was what it was. But I was like, yeah, uh, you got to give them the credit. Like, you got to at least acknowledge them with the national anthem at some point in time, right? I thought they were going to put it maybe like on a pre show or something like that. But, you know, I didn't take it. It, it was there. I mean, it would have made more sense to yeah. open the show. I mean, that's what they do for the fucking hockey. Nights and stuff over there, so I don't know why they wouldn't do it for wrestling. The second they should have opened with it. I do agree. They should have opened with that. What I thought was weird. Also, I thought it was the Dixie Chicks when they, you know, (laughs) I'm just saying. Uh, (laughs) The promo they they... (laughs) think. All right, that one got me. That one got me. (laughs) (laughs) The promo that they cut. Well, like the Stone Cold, like the American wrestlers. Uh, I don't know why I did that for American. Um, they, it was like it made no sense. Like Goldust made some sense, and then every, from there it just went downhill. And then it's like okay, and still, and then Stone Cold walks off. Uh, where's he walking off to? They're doing the fucking national anthem. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! That, that to me was weird. Yeah. So the next match that we have up is the 10-man tag team match, which I don't know. I, I I thought was kind of a cool concept, but I didn't I, – I, I've never been a fan of the Heart, Heart Foundation. So it was kind of hard for me to be excited for that. But I, but again, I've never been a fan of Stone Cold. I've always been a fan of Goldust. LOD, meh. Uh, Ken Shamrock, like Ken Shamrock. I, this was just kind of a weird main event for me. I don't know. What what y'all think? The group, the group, the American group itself was weird to me because I felt like their connections together was like. The most oddball kind of thing, like LLD, yeah. like and Stone Cold, definitely don't mix. And then uh, Goldust and Ken Shamrock, yeah, <laughs> definitely like, don't. Mix. That was your first connection, not <laughs> Goldust and Stone Cold. 
Well, oh, I mean, I, I got a like... question. I got a question though. If you could book this, who would you have tagged with Stone Cold? I don't know who's around at the time. Like I can't remember back then. Like because obviously so I didn't you lose watch this it argument before. already, George. Get out of here. Oh fuck! <laughs> I'm gonna go refill my water. <laughs> Man, I I think you'd have to have Stone Cold. So you'd have Shawn Michaels with him, Triple H with him. I think you'd have to have Vader to counteract uh, Jim the Anvil Neidhart. I think Jim Jim Neidhart and Vader would have been a great, like, matchup. Not a singles match, but a great, like, tag matchup. Mm -hmm. Um. I think LOD was well placed. Uh but yeah, I just the American side, like George said, it was so damn random. I I just I yeah, I yeah, not not Yeah, a- so I'll t- I'll I'll break it down to you like this, because I had to do some some really deep thinking about this and I had to go back into like storyline memory banks. So yes, while on paper, it looks really random. And even in an application, it looks really random. You have to think about what was going on at the time. So Stone Cold is basically fighting uh, Brett to a certain extent, right? Right now, they're starting their rivalry coming off of, I think it was WrestleMania 13. This is June. So they just had their match at WrestleMania. Yeah. And then at the time, they were starting a tag team rivalry Owen Hart and Davy Boy Smith with Legion of Doom. The only one that was on the out, more specifically storyline wise, in some way, shape, or form, was Jim the Anvil Nightheart and um, Ken Shamrock. So neither one of them really had a rivalry at that time with anybody from the opposing side. Owen was in the, uh, Owen was going. Oh, no, I guess it was only Ken Shamrock was like they were kind of having like a mini feud about the Intercontinental titles or starting it. They're about to go into their storyline. And then Goldust had this thing with Brian Pillman that turned into Marlena uh, becoming Brian Pillman's valet for a while. And then, of course, we already know how that ends. But they uh, like it at least rationally made sense because they all had like some kind of bone to pick with the opposing side it looked like shit and didn't make sense but uh like that's presumably looking back that's why i think they ended up putting the 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 group together they did for the face side to go against the heel heart foundation because you have a solid faction it's sort of like if you had not recently if you have like the bloodline on one side of the ring you kind of have to kind of cherry pick who to put there in a correlating storyline that makes sense for them to be in the ring with them, right? Like, it's kind of the same concept. Yeah, but they were in Canada, so the Heart Foundation were the babies. That's true, but, like, at the same time, they didn't think about it like that back then, clearly, because they didn't have to, like, I don't think they really thought about the big picture about how they would be so cheered and, revo- and like revered in Canada, even with them having that heel turn, because they they did sorry have this heel turn in America, and it, uh, I'm assuming 
somebody created thought it was still carrying over to Canada, but it didn't like the way they wanted to. Well, it, it, I, you know, I disagree with that. I think they kind of planned it, but I think overall in this match, the biggest question that we could have had out of everything, all five guys on either side, there is no bigger question than whether Bret Hart's glasses came in bifocal for his mom. <laughs> but you know what? I, I will say I was I, I've never been a huge Stone Cold fan. Uh but this version of Stone Cold, I I I like. I like this version. Like the true, like giving the middle finger to people and yeah. I like this version of Stone it's Cold. Like- Really? It's like this. Uh, it's the popular version of Stone Cold before it became mainstream popular. Like yeah. we're seeing, yeah, I get that. Like the the original version before, like he was on Got Milk commercials and Regis and Philbin. So, I get that. It was a uh, overall. I mean, like I I did enjoy the pieces of the Heart Foundation. Like it was kind of one of those where like. You enjoyed seeing Stone Cold and how his character was coming across each week on TV, getting kind of a one-ups on, like, the Heart Foundation, right? But at the same time, like, it was the Heart Foundation. They were kind of draped in gold at the time. You had, what, Bret Hart as the – he eventually the WWE champion again, had the Intercontinental title, tag team titles, Slammy, two-time Slammy Award winner <laughs> Owen Hart. Like – Literally everything came through the Heart Foundation, and like you had to like like it was kind of one of those that like it kind of made it look cool for the moment, but then of course you know everything everything good got to come to an end at some point, right? So in this in this match, you had Owen with the two Slammies. Owen was the Intercontinental Champion. Davy Boy was the European European champion, type. and yeah. that that was it, but. George, why are you so damn quiet over there? Well, it's because I'm watching it over here right now. <laughs> like, I, I put it back on. But I'm listening to you guys, and I'm kind of, like, not fully agreeing with any of anything that you guys are saying almost. But this is why. So I'm a big Stone Cold fan. Always have been. Like, that guy, you know, pretty much has shaped my attitude. <laughs> but, uh... Uh, Ken Shamrock, man, I remember like as soon as he came out, I was like, the most lethal man in the world. I don't remember what I said. Some of Dangerous. Whatever. Yeah, and then um, and I don't know, I was yelling at my wife. I was like, you know he had to register himself as a lethal weapon? Stupid <laughs> 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 stuff. Uh, and Goldust, like his gimmick, this whole thing, like the weirdness of Goldust, like I've always loved. Uh, but LOD have no connection. I've never really cared for but them. But you know what? In this moment with Goldust, he was actually as awkward and as weird as, as his character always was. In this moment, he was such a straight-up, like, wrestler. Like, he yeah. had gotten... He's Goldust, but he's out of that Goldust character. He's more Dustin Reynolds just dressed up as Goldust right now. Right. right. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But what I found myself 
doing during this match was cheering for the Hart Foundation. Even though I liked those guys. You Mexican Canadian motherfucker. <laughs> Dude, we've already established Natalia follow you. I'm sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> but you know, like um here's why, and I think this is probably what happened. Um and I've heard this in and that recently happened with like the rock and somebody else. Like I was I don't know what I was watching where they had to turn who they were supposed to be in the match. Like one was supposed to be the bad guy or the uh, you versus know, and, rock. Yeah. And then they yeah. turn because the of the crowd. So I think this is what was happening here. And then it was happening to me because I was like cheering on for the Heart Foundation, even though I liked the other guys a little bit more. Um well I think I think in this but here's hold on, before all that like I think I don't know I'm a little bit corrupt from that if I was back then watching this I think I would cheer for Stone Cold in them uh but now and I sent you guys earlier a picture of meeting Bret Hart dude fucking nicest guy I've ever met oh that nicest was wrestler yeah, that was me. <laughs> you you can use that picture if you want on this. But uh, yeah, man, super it, nice. And and why? Because he was at, the, at a comic con, uh, you know, doing his thing. But I was kind of a, a bit of a punk where I waited to where he was leaving, and then asked him for a picture so I didn't have to pay for it. And he could have said no, and he kind of looked at me like, "Oh, you're pulling a fast one." But he was like. Yeah, man, make it quick before other people find out. And I was like, yeah. good. You knew I was being no. a punk, and he still was no, like. No, Brett's always yeah, been dude. like that. He's always one that always gives back to the fans. Like, yeah. Like, he even told was... the security guard, I was like, get off. Like, we're taking a picture. Yeah. No, he's like, he, he definitely gives back to the fans. And, like, if he's at a signing, he'll go two hours over just to make sure everybody in that line gets their autograph signed. And, like, it's it's definitely a redeeming quality. Like he, when he like wanted, when he took that moniker of being like the hometown hero, he took it very seriously. And I appreciate his, I guess, like consistency and staying in character, or just being just a really nice guy that happened to also be a, a, a stand-up guy in character, also. But he like he like he lives on TV and in real life. Like he's super cool. Like there's never been a story where I've heard Bret Hart. Have a bad time with a with a fan. Now Goldberg's put on the other hand, that's a whole different story. <laughs> but you know that's uh, but that's always been one thing I've always noticed uh, when people talk about him, and that's pretty cool. Um, you don't hear a lot of wrestlers have that same kind of um, reputation after a while, you know. Yeah, yeah, CM Punk. <laughs> We're gonna get into that story. Someday, I'm sure we'll keep teasing it until then. Yeah. Um, so with with Austin and the heart stuff and everything, how far are we either removed or going into the incident with Owen and Austin? It's next on the list of his storyline. So um, looking back at this, it was. Bret Hart went into his match with The Undertaker. Stone Cold went into his feud with Owen at this time. And that's when they had the uh, 
the match where he broke his neck. Like I think it was like two or three months later, and I put hung up Stone Cold on the shelf for a while. But it's coming soon in the near present future. Yeah, I was gonna say Austin. Austin is moving really different than he did later on. He is mm-hmm. his mannerisms, his body language, the way he moved and turned was a lot different than it ended up. Had been. I mean, because yeah. it's like he did when he, he, he does say, like in, in interviews, he came back, he wrestled a little bit more protected because of his neck. Right. It was always just like, it was just like when he came back, it was just not. If it happened, but when it happened, that his neck became a bigger issue and a liability in the ring. And so you definitely tell that, but like I didn't realize it until you made mention to it as you're watching it in this match, you do see him move a lot differently. Um, yeah. it's, it, but it's still athletic as fuck. Yeah, <laughs> but, George, George, we're. I, I feel like we keep leaving George out with these. In- no, no, I'm listening, I'm listening, but uh. You guys have these, um, I guess, different connections. I, I don't know, man. I go back to like from what I remember, and it's like I liked Owen Hart a lot. Like I remember playing him on like the video games, maybe even more than I did Bret Hart. I liked him a lot until he turned into uh the blue whatever it was. Blue you went back to blue blazer. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. I never liked that part of it, but I was a huge Owen Hart fan. I love the British Bulldog. Uh, I, Jim, I don't think I was like that much into like Nightheart, Jimmy Anvil Nightheart, or whatever his name. Daddy's uh, dad. <laughs> uh, I was just I was never connected to him, but I think this is why I was going for. The heart foundation in this situation was because I was like a fan of Owen. I was a fan of the British Bulldog, and uh, and then now, right now, I didn't know back then, so I wouldn't have I wouldn't have known. But uh, Pillman, Cincinnati Bengals, baby, who day? <laughs> well, and it was weird. I thought in in the middle of this match, they actually bring up um, Goldust being Dusty Rhodes' dad. And I thought that was that was interesting. I'm like, oh, okay. They're gonna give Dusty kind of a random shout out. Yeah. Moment, which which I thought was cool, but I will in this match, it made me realize how great JR is when the crowd is in it with him. Like the crowd is getting fired up in this match yeah. and jr gets fired up with him he matches that energy that's being spat out even oh. though he knows that they can't hear him he knows that the crowd can be heard on on tv and so he matches that energy to yeah. make it even more of a of a palpable situation and moment he's good for that like i always love jr for that um you know it's like it, he's always going to be one of those that when you hear like you see specific moments, and you know that there is Jr. in the background somewhere hyping it up, and it just makes the moment even better. Like it gives you chills uh, to yeah. a certain extent. Yeah, for sure. 
Oh, even um, playing video games, like playing WWE 2K 30, 20, whatever, 23. Like, whenever we do something crazy in the video game, I'm like, my God, he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, overall, the match was, I thought the match was pretty good. The one big takeaway, or there's like three big takeaways I take away from this match. One, for the bigger guys that were in this match, LOD, um, LOD, Jim Anvil, and I hurt, those big motherfuckers can go. And, like, knowing, like, the type of lifestyle they lived before and after the show, like, on the road, always partying, like, it was like the rough, the rough lifestyle they had, to see them still be able to perform at that level, because, like, that whole match was exhausting. If you like, I'm thinking, I'm looking at it, and I get halfway exhausted as that's like part of me takes over. But like, they could go and they could perform and they do that night in and night out. Like, I expect the athleticism from Brett, from Owen, from Ken, like they're built right. for that, right? But like, these motherfuckers are plus 300 pounds each and they are still moving like they're just like middleweights. And it's, it's interesting to see how they could still be able to go like that. Um, and so that was fun. That was entertaining. And then the other big thing was, um, and I was talking to my brother-in-law about this while we were watching the matches, like you look at the ring, uh, 60% of that, of the wrestlers in that ring are dead now. Yeah. Dead. Oh, yes. Oh. yes. I thought about that. And I told Allison, we were watching it and I was like, oh, yeah. The majority of these guys are dead now. She's like, what? yeah, you know what? <laughs> but to even spring on top of that, like it was like, okay, like due to causes of certain events, like some of them had longer careers in the tooth than other ones, right? Because we already know how Owen passed. We already know Brian Pillman is his days are numbered at this point because it's not it's not even at the end of the year that he dies. Um. And so, like, I was thinking about it as, like, we got to see LOD a couple more, like, have a couple more runs in different, uh, not only WWE, but in different uh, uh, federations, too. But, like, even Davey Boy Smith had a second breath in, like, WCW. Um, and then, like, same thing with uh, Anvil. He was like, eh, he was a mid-carder, but he was kind of there, kind of not. But, like, what could have been of, like, Owen Hart and a Brian Pillman? if they would have had four careers, right? Especially Owen, because he was the one, only one technically locked into his contract at the time after the whole uh, Montreal screw job. And so, you know, he had like all these wrestlers that came up that were like, right as he died, there was a shift in like people coming over from WCW, like the Radicals, like Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit, Perry Saturn, they could have these really cool matches with um, Edge, who like trained with Owen Hart, and like they were like uh, running buddies behind the scenes and stuff, like, and you get, you, like you start to start um, doing a lot of fantasy booking at that point of like what could have been. Brian, he was kind of off the rails anyways, but like he, when he wrestled and had good storylines. He was amazing in the ring. He was great on the microphone, whether he was in WCW or WWE. You know, that's why he was around for the Heart Foundation. He didn't really wrestle a lot because he was injured, but when he was there, you know, um, I remember the whole Austin 316 meets 
filming nine millimeter clock segment on Raw. And so and I was crazy <laughs> like Louis Vince, yeah. <laughs> and so like you, you get to thinking what it could have been and what we what we could have had. Um especially with those t- with those two good talents on the roster at the time. I I feel like I've said everything, man. <laughs> you know like, I, I like how things kept breaking down. Like it never went back or it never was it started like a full tech team and then it just kept destroying itself and then which led to the very end where everything just went crazy. And the, end was the ending was it weird. Was it was yeah. it was good, but it was weird. Like it was like or at least to me it felt all of a sudden. Yeah, but it was good. Just, I mean, for what it turned out to be, and breaking down like that, like it was a it was a shit heel way to end the match because yeah. let's, at the end of the day, regardless of if you're in Canada, America watching it, like the storyline is the Heart Foundation are the heels, so they're going to do something dirty to win, or they're yeah. going to find a dirty roll up pin to win it and get out of there. But you know, it just happened to be in Canada while we were doing this. <laughs> no, and then let's see. Did y'all see in the crowd? There was a sign that said "Taka is God." No, though that was. Let's go back and look at it again. But you know what? I like, dude. How crazy would it have would it have gotten if Stone Cold and and the American team would have won? Like, you think right. it would have riot? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I so I dude. think so. But you know what? There was a moment where I saw they went through the. Spanish announce, uh, Spanish announcers table. Thought about George, and I was like, Spanish table, lucky. Like <laughs> those tables look like they were just like those, like those white foldable tables that you just put out at barbecues. Like, I just sit right here. <laughs> Man, but there was yeah. there was a spot where um, there was an Irish whip into the turnbuckle. And Bret Hart went chest first. And I know he was known for doing that and he could do it well, but damn it, it sounded like his fucking chest just crunched. That's the art of a heart right there, Art. But (laughs) (laughs) hey, when everything finally breaks down and people start jumping in, like the family, was there was there like it was it all family or like some random fans jumped into or no? No, it's all family, bro. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. there's actually because uh, the way it looks. Talk- just real, like real quick, like the way it looks, it looks like yeah. There's so much confusion. Like people jumped in, and maybe it was planned, but then all of a sudden it was like, oh no, and then they start backing off randomly. Like they stop going on with the with what the story or what. Yeah, no, I actually, I actually have that that we're going to talk about. Um, but before that, Jr. going against Stone Cold was weird. Like hearing him try to make Stone Cold the the villain in this, the heel, was really weird. He wasn't. I don't know. Uh, to me, it was weird. But I was saying, um, but no, I mean, like, it's one of those that you have to, like, when you're watching it, yeah, it is weird to hear, but then you realize how far they've come from that point. 
Like you forget, like you, of course, you know, you have the, the, the reflection of being an adult watching this again or for the first time. And you forget like, like when you're a kid, you don't pay attention to the story beats in the same way that you do as you listen to them with the same reference points as an adult, right? So for as kids, we were like, oh man, this is just the Heart Foundation bunch of, versus a bunch of random wrestlers put together, including Stone Cold Steve Austin. But like now we we right. lived through it, and now we get to go back and look at it through a different lens. And so it does. It's kind of interesting to look at it that way and have more fun with it, right? And so that was that was one thing I did notice in this match. Um, but like you know, it's it's one of those like. It, JR was playing his role at the time, and like commentary across the board was was phenomenal for this match. Except for like Vince McMahon sucks as an announcer. I'm just gonna be as a hot take, but like he has like six or seven like sound effects that he'll make when he's lost and trying to come up with words. And then when he does come up with words, it just sounds like a circus act and trying to hype up the circus act. Which is fine. Like, bad. He wasn't. He wasn't that bad at this point. But I've seen. I've listened to him in the past again, looking at some of our other uh, shows, and then also doing like just looking at random matches. I'm like, oh man, this is pretty decent, but not that great as an announcer. Like it was good as a buffer between King and and Jr. But there, you could tell there was a time where he just needed to cycle off of being part of that announce team and. It was, I guess it was kind of good that he ended up becoming his own character instead of staying on the announce team. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. that three-man announce team would have sucked if it was him involved in that for any longer during the Attitude Era. Okay. So. Uh. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. Vince is not somebody that I would, like, put on commentary. But yeah. he's bad. Yeah. But, George, going to your point, though, with the crowd interaction, um, like I was telling you off, off camera. So in the Wrestling with Shadows documentary, they actually break down that that specific part of the match with, I think Pat Patterson produced this backstage. And so there's a point where they talk about the way that the match is going to lead up and how they get the family involved. Because um, it's always one of those running jokes. It's a, it was like Bret Hart, if he talks about his brothers being in the show somewhere or being at the yeah. show, they always try to find a way to be in the show. And so this was kind of their way of segueing them into the show without segueing them into the show. And so um, I'll send you the link for it. But, like, they'll talk about it and break it down. It's really interesting to make sure that everybody gets a piece of, like, some TV time. Yeah. And so Hart, was, Hart Smith was there. To, or Smith Hart was there to to kind of set the tone to make sure we started rounding up or uh, rounding the end of the show up to where we got to the final um, end of where the match ended up with with the whole melee of the family and stuff. Even Stu Hart got some licks in, which was cool. I thought that was kind of awesome. With that, we're going to take one more commercial break before we come back to give our final thoughts on the show. So we will see y'all here in just a couple of minutes. Whoop, whoop. Hey, Too Hard Too Fast podcast, a lighthearted, thought-provoking, comedic podcast where we talk about society and culture topics through the lives and experiences of my guests. But that's what it says on paper. 
the important thing to remember is that too hard, too fast, we don't check facts. Something you can check is for Too Hard, Too Fast podcast on YouTube, Spotify, and any other podcast platform that you use or don't use. Use them all. Watch us all on all of it. So it was it was kind of weird watching this match, watching JR kind of go against Stone Cold from our remembrance of how JR was always with Steve Austin. So with everything going on, I, I really enjoyed the match. But Bruce, so Bruce Hart kept kind of fucking shit up. I don't know. <laughs> and, and then like every and that's why he's in the crowd and not in the ring. He kept falling. Yeah. He was on the ground. He kept falling <laughs> down for shit. Yeah. Even Stu Hart spot was better than, than anything he did. And you know the the thing that cracked me up the most is so everybody's fighting in the ring, right? And then all the security comes in and they're I'm looking at him like why are a bunch of airline pilots like in the <laughs> ring fighting with people? This doesn't make sense. Like, oh, 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 that's security. Okay, they they dress them like airline pilots. Cool. I was waiting for the Mountie to come out there in some way, shape, or form and try to break it up. <laughs> I mean, it was you know the the ending of the match was was fine. It was it was cool. Um. I don't know, man. I you know it was it was a weird. I was expecting more when I started it, but I got more out of it than I really thought. But it's you can't have Canadian Stampede and then expect the Hart family to lose, right? Yeah, he kind of. I mean, he'd be dumb to assume. I like guess it's. it's one thing to be like, yeah, they're going to lose, but like they're just, they're the hometown heroes. It was it was built for them to win. Like family, Stu Hart and um, and Mama Hart is sitting there in the audience. All the Hart family is there. Like it's built and programmed around them winning. Like it's kind of like one of those that you don't see this going any other way. And if it goes the other way, you're not in Canada. If that's the case. Or imagine it goes that way and the American team wins and, you know, everybody gets riled up, you know, the crowd's getting crazy because they're already throwing shit anyways. And so then they beat up, like they go, we're not okay with this. And then the Heart Foundation starts breaking through the, yeah. the thing and then, like, you know, the barricade and they start beating up the Americans. That would be pretty badass too. Yeah, that's a different way to look at it. I would say that would work, but if they did that, it would, wouldn't be on one of the B-list uh, pay-per-views. It would be like on a big four type of situation. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's go ahead and give our ratings for the 10-man tag match. I'm going to go ahead and let uh, Lathan. Four stars. Oh, well, so for context reasons, so like it's a four star match. Uh, 
first of all, athleticism across the board is a phenomenal. Um, for me, I think going into it, I had more of a nostalgic lens on understanding the programming of the show or of the match, how it was supposed to be broken down um, as, as they got to the end of the match and stuff from, from watching Wrestling with Shadows as, at such a young age and enjoying, I, like I go back and watch it every once in a while and this is one of those things I remember nostalgically putting the two together and seeing how like it kind of crescendo Bret Hart's exit from the company um, but like the athleticism from both from everybody involved in the match is really awesome. Like even um, Gold Dust, for what it's worth. Like I remember Gold Dust kind of being a little bit more frumpier and dumpier as the Attitude Era went along, and I forgot Gold Dust was ultra athletic yeah. in this particular uh, version of himself, right? And so like it was it was cool to see that, and so. Like yeah, so I, I enjoyed the match for what the match was, and then all the back behind the scenes stuff that went into it. So I went into remembering all of that, and then watching it full on, and I was like, "This is a great match. Like it's entertaining. It served its purpose. Who won? Won in the right time, and Canada kind of made it even more over uh, with the crowd. So yeah, so I just had to give it a four star. Nice. Okay, George, what you got? I'll say it this way. Um, when we recorded with um, the WCW uh, Goldberg Hogan thing, Jen, my wife, my wife, she told me, she said, like, you wife. were so lively on it. Like, that was, you were like all in hardcore, like just stupid on it. And it was because I was, it was nostalgia. It was, it was something I watched and I knew what I was talking about. So I was all in, like I knew, <laughs> right? So, but because it was a, it was a, a, an episode that came out on TV that I watched. So when we talk about pay-per-views, I have like a really good privilege of, uh, of like watching it as nostalgia because I know all the character, uh, the uh, the wrestlers from you know, uh, but also watching it for the first time like it's a unique kind of thing that i'm getting to experience um so i'm giving this uh actually a 4.4 because i really enjoyed how chaotic everything was and i was watching it as a first timer but also knowing the wrestlers here comes hey ass art gonna give it a 2.37 <laughs> this was bullshit <laughs> so this match, because of how chaotic it was and all the shit, everything that happened, I give it a 1.86. Wow. Now, you're just being a dick now. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe dick. so. I just, there wasn't... Just say you hate Canada. Go ahead and say it. It's fine. <laughs> well, yeah. Except Natalia. Sure, no, a real I, cowboy. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, there was, it was so, to me, it was so chaotic with stuff and the whole like, oh, with Owen with the, the chair and then Stone Cold with the chair and they're going to take him out. There was, there was just too much gaga 
for the for the whole thing and it's like why are we you could just have a straight match have a good match and be be done with it it's not we don't need that shit so yeah i i i with lod they're not going to give you a five-star match um yeah i gave it kind of a i i well not kind of i gave it a 1.86 on that what rating do y'all give this pay-per-view overall give it a b plus no i need a number (laughs) numerical I say uh, three, uh, three, three quarter stars, three point seven five. Yeah, that's as I mean. Listen, it 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 was an it, it was enough matches with enough time to let each match breathe, tell its story, have some fun with it, and get involved and get immersed in it, and then um, give it its conclusions and move on, right? And so. Anything like uh, it was just it, it was perfectly paced, perfectly timed. Um, some things didn't make sense on paper and application, they even made some more sense, but then overall, you were easily entertained. Um, it made it, it hit all of its beats, and so it was fine. It wasn't one year, it wasn't a Survivor Series, it wasn't a Royal Rumble, it wasn't um, a WrestleMania, but it still kept you entertained for what it was. And it can't, it went into this job, and got out. So solid man, solid performance across the board. Nice. Okay, George, what you got? I want to put it in the fours, but that Undertaker Vader match, yeah, it's gonna <laughs> be a three point eight. Yeah, I enjoyed all of the matches except for that one. I was fully invested in all of them except for that one. Um, yeah, man, I really enjoyed it. I was. Didn't know what in in your house was. Didn't know what to expect, and then I was like, "Oh, dang, this is good stuff." I think I even texted you guys right after. I don't remember if I did, but I was like, <laughs> "This stuff is good." George, real quick, I want you to look at my name. Too hard, too fast. What the? <laughs> I'm a Oh, too hard. Oh, <laughs> nice. So I gave this. Uh, entire show a 2.8775 well that was actually just the average of all the matches divided by whatever no i (laughs) i really i really liked this pay-per-view and i remember as a kid going over to my buddy ernie's house watching this with him and you know it brought up a bunch of nostalgic feelings and everything but i i I don't know if i'm you know more cynical now being an adult watching it and everything i mean i don't know but i'm i'm not gonna mark it down it was it was good it was good. It's not the best, but it was good. So with that, we are about to spin the wheel. And I'm going to, we're going to spin the wheel. Here we go. Spin it. Let's see what we got coming up. 
next month, we have SummerSlam 1992. We're going to watch that and give our ratings. So I would expect. I see no wheel spin. I feel like you just picked it because you already had it. I spend it. I expect uh, George to be in a tank top for that because he kept asking for a damn SummerSlam. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm ready for SummerSlam. Oh, you can't see it. (laughs) So, hey, guys, Lathan, George, thank you all so much. Love you guys. The best there is, the best there was, the best that ever will be. Who's that nerdy motherfucker next to Bret Hart? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that is. That boy thick. <laughs> skinny kid. Thick boy slim over there. <laughs> Guys, thank y'all for being here. Thank everybody who's listening who's watching again we do this because we really love pro wrestling we love doing this we enjoy doing this y'all have a great night and uh great day whatever it is hey paul bear got his uh morticianary from san antonio college baby there it is (laughs) thank you duckers for coming back. We'll see y'all next month for the next show. Have a good night.